0: Welcome to Technically Minded, a podcast brought to you by Cordera. We are a global boutique consulting firm, and on this show, we discuss hot topics in business and tech with our colleagues in an effort to share our collective insights with you. My name is Sam Mori, and I'm part of our management consulting group, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm joined here with Zach Vendeska and Rob Merritt, as we'll be discussing generative AI and cybersecurity. Thank you both for making time to be here.
1: It's for Yeah, thank you.
0: Would you each please give a brief intro and share how come to be interested in this topic? And Rob, let's start with you.
2: Uh, Yeah, so I'm Rob. uh, I've been with Credera for about six or so years. And my role is maintaining Criteria UK's uh, cybersecurity position, so uh, all of our ISO certifications that allow us to do work uh, in uh, some of our our more regimented clients. And I also uh, consult with a lot of our clients on how to implement architectures in their own environment as well, a large part of which is
1: normally uh, being
2: compliant with cybersecurity.
1: Well
0: said, Zach Vanduska.
1: Yeah, Zach Vanduska. I've uh, been with the company about three years. I the pleasure of serving as our Chief Information Security Officer, and I run our security and privacy practice.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you all for both being here. So today we're talking about generative AI and cybersecurity and how those two overlap. And so I know generative AI has been all over the news. It's It's been such a big topic over the last year, couple of years. So Zach, get us started. You know, over the last year, there's been a lot of evolution within generative AI. How has that impacted cybersecurity?
1: I would say cybersecurity and CISO roles at companies is a very difficult one. And so um, they're trying to solve a lot of things. There's a lot of hype on new items or things that might be coming down the pipe. Uh, And I don't know if anybody had generative AI on the bingo uh, list, right? I I don't think a lot of companies were ready for, um, or cybersecurity programs were ready for introducing a generative AI. So company security in general is behind the ball. Uh, I think we can see that in the frameworks that are being developed now. So there's a lot of security frameworks that uh, that we use in, uh, to to provide security companies. We have um, frameworks that are stand, being stood up for generative AI, but it's mostly on how to produce or create one, not how to actually deploy it. So we, we've got a lot of manuals on how to, to build a car, but not how to actually drive one safely.
0: Mm. That's good. Rob, anything that you would add to that?
1: Uh, Yeah,
2: I'd completely agree with what Zach is saying. We're chasing very much a a moving target that is evolving uh, rates, almost somewhat unprecedented in the industry, right? And its ability to to gather new intelligence and and, uh, change its responses is quite phenomenal. I would also, uh, I guess what I would say is, I think the, the other focus that is really brought for organizations is a renewed focus around its uh, integrity and quality of data. Um, and you know we know from uh, a lot of, uh, I guess, data strategies that that's sometimes not always our strongest suit. Uh, and I think quite, a, quite an area that uh, uh, organizations are rapidly realizing that this has become the bedrock of both how they exploit it, but how they need to prevent or uh, will be more defensive over AI as well.
0: That's great. So y'all are both experts within cybersecurity and subject matter experts at that. And so when we look at generative AI, I think uh, an easy question to ask ourselves is, is could this be used in uh, threat attacks? Can this be used to attack companies?
1: I think that there's three different answers to that, right? Or three different conversations we had. And one would be, that there are security challenges in implementing AI in companies. There are ways in which companies will use AI to, and security companies will come up with ways to use AI to protect uh, other companies. And then of course, there's the red teams, right? There, there are going to be threat actors that are gonna find ways to use generative AI um, and new and creative ways to attack companies.
0: What was that first one that you're saying?
1: So, I mean, the first, the, the first challenge is companies are, are rushing forward because the, the hype is high. The possibilities are there. No one wants to be behind on, on this chain. Um, so they're looking for ways to solve business problems with generative AI. They don't have good means right now. Um, their cybersecurity teams don't really have frameworks or practices or, or awareness exactly how to, how to protect their companies. So there's implementations rolling forward that are probably not as secure as they should be. Now, we've been facing that challenge and making sure that we do what we need to to remediate any kind of risk for any AI implementations that we were looking at, or that our companies that we work with are, are, are implementing. The good news is a lot of the same kind of ways that you would attack uh, an AI implementation are the same ways you would attack anything else. So we get to borrow some of what we've known in the past. So. Uh, if it's going to be implemented in the cloud, you're still going to have to use standard cloud security methodologies to protect the inst- uh, the, the instances that you're putting out there. There, are, for the most part, you know, a DDoS attack is a DDoS attack. Uh, almost all these attacks are going to be very similar. There are some nuances, though, that are really giving. I think the security world fits, and that great example would be prompt injection, right? So we've done injection for a long time. You know, if you uh, if you want to layer in an attack on, say, a website, you can use, you know, Burp Suite now used to be Achilles as a proxy, to actually tra- inject code that's going to be interpreted. For Those injections is any time in which I can inject a piece of code into something that's going to be interpreted by my um, downward attack vector or where I'm trying to get it, uh, into. Um, prompt injection in generative AI is a little bit more difficult because classically, like a SQL injection, I know that they're going to be putting SQL code in so I can watch for that kind of language. And I can say, I call her carve out and say, Hey, as I interpret what's coming into me, do not allow me to do any of the SQL stuff because I don't want it to actually manipulate and, and take advantage with generative AI and large language models. The, it, the prompt now can read every language. It can read combinations of languages. It can read code. It can read ASCII. So the ability to, to just say parse out this because this is the kind of language I'm watching for becomes very difficult. So that's like one of the the examples of how it differs from from classical security. Um, another one is poisoning the well. So there's a data source or something that sits underneath that that the AI is learning or working off of. If I can poison that either by direct backend connections into the databases, or even if I have a learning model that has a learning model behind it that's it's actually taking the inputs that are coming in and and advancing itself, I could find a way to start populating it with bad data. And we saw that in one of Microsoft's very first facing generative AI examples in which people started prompting it to be more of a negative and I believe racist or what have you because it was learning.
0: That's good, Zach. Rob, any... Anything you'd add there?
2: I, I definitely draw on, on Zach's point of some of the challenges being similar. Um, if you look at the, the uh, I guess, uh, evolve, evolving target of, of AI, um, uh, the thing that I point to is kind of like the, the supply chain validation. So you know, when uh, ChatGPT was first uh, released to the wide market, there were lots of news reports about um, companies putting... Uh, proprietary data into the model and then the fears of how that data was potentially being used or not used. Um, And I think the thing that has driven uh, some of the changes is now you've obviously got things like private instances where they can be integrated directly into your network. Um, And so I would say that to the point of it being a moving target, I think the the AI platforms themselves are also having to adapt to corporate needs. uh, And that's where you see the uh, implementation of some of the private models or you know, private infrastructures that you can use to train against your own data sets. That's
0: good. So what I'm hearing is AI is always evolving and it is highly complex. And so the second that we have a defense, uh, it's, it's changing. And so it's requiring uh, companies and teams to, to constantly be thinking through, okay, what is the next best step to take here? Uh, when, when we're considering, you know, core cybersecurity practices, what, what, what stands out to, to you, Rob, in, in how companies can approach generative AI?
2: It's a really good question. I, I would say a lot of it always comes back to the people when we're talking about defensive mechanisms and some of the, the things are some of the basics. So, for example, we know that by using Gen AI. Um, phishing attacks are going to become a lot more complicated but they'll still use some of the the same principles you know trying to comp- create compelling emails to get you to give up your sensitive credentials uh, and so i i would say when it comes to the people you know making sure that people your, your staff and people are aware of the challenges of using gen ai and i think that's one of the things that we've done really well you know, uh, Credera about making sure that we've got very good guardrails about how you can use Gen AI in corporate settings. You know, what are the implications on our clients when they uh, want to use Gen AI? Um, and some of the things as well around uh, making sure that you define good security boundaries between, uh, let's say, things that uh, the, the AI models that you implement and then other sets of perhaps either regulatory or personal data.
1: Yeah, on the personal data side, that's the other piece, is making sure that the the learning model doesn't have or the AI doesn't have access to a lot of um, IP that you don't want out or or private information that you want out. Um, and, and that's another attack factor. And by the way, I, I'm part of my, my way, I think, is I can, I'm always looking at how I would tear it apart so I can better uh, understand how to protect it. Uh, DSAR, uh, like DSRA requests for removal of, of privacy data. Uh, learning models don't really appreciate when you start moving the data out from underneath them. And so that'll be an interesting challenge that we're seeing is what if you have a, um, and this is a, a new attack vector, is that they can have a distributed DSAR request. In other words, I go compile five hundred thousand, three thousand 3,000 people who say now, you know, request that all my data be deleted. Um, that can break habit on a, uh, on an AI model. But, the other side of that, of course, is the recent, what, what was it, Samsung that had the uh, challenge that uh, they, uh, they set one up and it was only a matter of days before they were leaking private information for, uh, that they, weren't, they, they had no intent to actually have to go out.
2: Yeah, they, they leaked a lot of their uh, IP uh, for one of their
0: products, I think it was. In regards to IP, how can companies best protect that in a generative AI model?
1: It goes back to something Rob said earlier in which you've got to have strong data governance, right? At the end of the day, um, and, and it's not a, an easy thing to do. And most companies still have challenges at this. Um, but if you're going to protect your data and this, this is true for having a good privacy program, this is true about having a good generative AI program. If you don't actually have good understanding of your data, good classification of data, marking of your data, uh, understanding it's the data's, um, Integrity, understanding the data's providence, understanding your data lineage, that's where you start having problems.
2: Uh, All I can say to that is yes, uh, 100%, uh, that's where (laughs) it all uh, comes together, right? If you don't have those things in place. um, uh, I guess the thing that I build on that is, uh, it comes back to my point of people's awareness, because it's very easy to have like the policy and the frameworks for all those things in place and then no one knows that they exist. so making sure that you've got a robust communication program to make sure that people are aware of you know what sensitive data uh, is marked as and what you can and can't use it for. Um, and I think one of the things that I'm seeing quite interesting from a data governance perspective is actually putting some of the onus and that back on uh, the individual. So you know, I've seen some applications that when you request access to data, you now have to sign a disclaimer that says, for, uh, Sorry, effectively, a contract that says that you're aware that this data is of this classification and means that you cannot do these things with it. And so rather than the user being woefully unaware, they're now completely aware because they've signed something that says, I know what it means when I have access to this data and what I can and can't use it for.
1: So, so Rob, what you're telling me is that our, our data governance program should not be your best kept secret?
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Exactly what I'm telling you. In light of all this, it sounds like having a thorough data governance model in place is the first step that really any company should take when they are considering generative AI for either a security, uh, maintaining security, or uh, trying to fulfill any type of business outcome. It, it really just starts with the way that they gather, manage, and I guess outsource their data.
1: Well, I mean, I would never argue against that in general. I mean, I think it's a, a great uh, best practice. If you can't get it done for your whole company and you're gonna put generative AI, you're need to at least put the boundaries of a data governance program around the the touch points that the AI is gonna have. So, you know, kind of think of it as circles, at least, at least build the capability within the AI implementation and then you could potentially expand it out. Um, but anywhere that that's gonna touch, downstream, upstream, I would I would uh, also establish that data governance program.
0: That's good. Shifting gears a little bit, as we've seen generative AI has vast potential for both business and security outcomes, do you see generative AI becoming a new means for accelerated software development? Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> this is a very
2: short answer to that. Um, yeah, b- b- being the security person, I always put a bit of Warning onto that as well, though, because when you're using Gen AI to generate code for you, you don't always know the, the, the origination of that code. And so m- my guidance will always be, definitely use it to try and help accelerate your program, but please never deploy that code directly into production. You know, make sure that you still have the good old basics of good robust software development pipelines that are doing things like code quality checks, yeah, you know, where you're using uh, co- uh, code generated by uh, Gen AI. Um making sure that you've also had like an independent review of that code, you know, perhaps if you're not a seasoned developer, getting someone to cast their eye over it. Um, and, yeah, you know, always make sure that you've got your your DAST and SAS capabilities in the pipeline as well to make sure that there's good uh, static and dynamic application security testing.
1: Oh, but when AI takes over the SaaS part for us, we'll just trust it, right? Yeah, obviously, of course. And you were talking earlier about you know the possibilities of using AI in attack or attacking AI um, for companies. The idea that you could start creating a lot of code that actually has vulnerabilities that you want interjected into to um, other companies, and you literally put it out there with a high desirability as a as a proper response so that the AI models are more likely to pull up your code versus somebody else's as code snippets and injected things and actually inject vulnerabilities into to code. Uh, it's one of the many, many red team attack vectors that you could use to, to trick AI or use AI to uh, compromise a company.
0: Yeah, it feels like there is some checks and balances that need to happen with this. Um, you can use generative AI to come up with a lot of code really quick and i think as this continues to mature there will be generative ai to review that code but there can be holes all yeah. over the place <laughs> yeah
1: you're gonna start going down this interesting path so i, I was thinking about this um, last night um you know and ai is not new right let's let's be it's been around for a long time we had a moment in which we we had a, a our first computer you know beat a, a master chess player and, oh, now computers are going to be able to do everything. And then we had like this AI winter in which, you know, unless you were really listening to the right uh, news, you know, um, uh, sources, you probably heard nothing about AI other than video game AI for probably the last, you know, four or five years. And then then this spikes up. Well, th- what's going to happen next is, is you're going to start seeing who has the best AI wins kind of mentality. Um, I, I think that's in our future. It's not now we're We're not quite there, but we I think it's right around the corner um, in which, you know, and I, I think recently they had a, um, an, an AI beat a uh, real pilot in a, in a simulated combat. And they're like, Hey, we've been able to create an AI that can outfly some of the best pilots ever. So then what happens is the next, next country says, well, we're going to advance that and we're going to make an AI that can beat their AI you see what's going to start happening now is it's going to be, and you can take that same kind of model and move it to everything else, attack and defend and companies, or uh, you know, you're going to use an AI model to best predict customer uh, activity and you, and, and maximize both your ability to service your clients and potentially your profitability. And then the next company is going to say, well, if I can build one slightly better. So I, I think there'll be, when we get back to private owned, as you mentioned earlier, and this is probably not going to be, utilization of the of the larger brand versions but as they start privatizing it and figuring out how to use ai um there'll be a, contet- a competitive fight back and forth on them and that 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 goes to you know even the security warfare that we fight
2: yeah so you see that already um yeah when when you look at things like the um intrusion prevention and the different models that different vendors have for detecting different uh, approaches right and that's always yeah, the vendors are always saying my product's better than their product and can detect these different uh, approaches I think it's going to be exactly the same with Gen AI
0: so uh, you've mentioned it earlier in the podcast of prompt injections and so I just I gotta ask you know what what is a prompt injection and how how exactly does that relate to to generative AI and all this
1: so uh, often when we're working um, as a red team we're looking for um, ways to compromise a company compromise a product Um, prompt injection is any place in which i can inject any kind of code um, or even language in this case which is the interesting thing uh, into something that will be consumed and then um, interpreted right so um a a classic and and I'll, i'll use an old version URL injection was where I would take the, the the URL brand across the top, look for something like customer ID, user ID, UID, or something like that, and change the value that was expected to come back to be a different value, and then send it onto a server, and then see if I could session jump, and then get to someone else's session. That's an injection. Um, a SQL injection is where it's expecting to just get some regular code, and I throw some SQL code in, knowing that it might be interpreted by something that can understand SQL, and then return stuff to me that it shouldn't our prompt injection for um, large learning models is going to be when it has like right now if you go to gpt or or even bing right like it's even a search model they have a spot in which you can type something in there typically um the interpreters wouldn't be able to understand language requests now we have that right and now it's going to be able to interpret not only language all kinds of different code right we have to figure out how to manage a very diverse input factor to remediate out attacks so that, that we can actually make sure that they are not being attacked by the interpreted request coming in.
2: Sorry about looking at me like uh, I'm going to add anything else. Like uh, <laughs> Zach's explanation is, is
0: spot on, right? So prompt injections, is that is will that be something? It sounds like that's been around for a while, but will we Hear that more and more as time goes on. Or will that potentially be a, a, a more per, or a more prominent
1: risk? It's a new it's a new and more prominent risk. And injection's been around a long time. Um, injection into a model that can understand so many different languages and different and I don't mean just human languages. I mean coding languages, right? It, it becomes a lot more difficult. Even before I just had to look for, you know, uh, an open bracket, a couple things, and I I can I can prompt out a couple things and know that I'm going to stop most HTML. Uh, injection. Um, I can't do that now, right? With this, it's going to be able to interpret what you're trying to say because it's trying to make a, it, it's reading what you type there and making assumptions to what you're trying to say. And then, and so I we can keep flirting with what we put into a prompt to make it actually give different results. Um, you can, a prompt injection doesn't have to be like a code injection either, right? It can literally be, I know that this model has access to some ip that i want and it's not it's not supposed to give me all of it but if i can write several prompts that gives me a piece here and a piece there that i can sew back together i can get data that I, that the company does not want me to have out of it and that right there is it's a big challenge because it's no longer just that oh i can look for a couple pieces of like common language code that i can i can sp- i can parse out no this is interpreted and so it, it's going to be an interesting challenge it's going to be one of the ones that we go back and forth on it's good i
0: when i think of threat actors in cyber security i think the two things to simplify it that they are uh, looking out for is access and information really and so this is one of the ways that they can gain access or information uh, into a company and as we mentioned earlier ai is always evolving and so it is a moving target is there best practice and how you protect against something like this?
1: So there are best practices. There are frameworks for how to build one. Again, kind of to our conversation earlier. um, If you're a company who's building an AI, there's some framework there, there are items there. Uh, OWASP has one, this has one, Um, but how to implement them safely. We are still on new ground. Um, So they're not. Also happy to go through a list of red team stuff if you want. I was I wrote a couple down that I was thinking of last night. So yeah, yeah, feel free to ask. Let's
0: let's hop over to red team. Uh, Rob, you want to kick this one off for us?
1: Yeah.
2: So uh, I, one of the areas uh, that we're obviously seeing is how to use Gen AI to uh, you know, exploit companies, right? And so the, the concept of uh, red team, blue team is you know, how how can red teams create an offensive approach um, and and blue teams be able to defend against it? And I think the thing that Gen AI is really going to drive is your best defense is probably going to be the best offense that the red team can generate, right? And this comes back to our earlier conversation about the, the competition of the best model. And I guess everyone loses if the person that has the best model is actually your threat actors rather than the people that are offering you a defensive approach. Um, yeah. And so I think what we're going to see in the industry now is probably um, because of the amount, vast amount of knowledge that these uh, models will have access to, um, a, a new generation of much higher, more sophisticated zero-day vulnerabilities in software or hardware or uh, things that are available to the, the, the market.
1: I, I think the red teams are going to be a little more creative right now. And I think that's the other thing that if I was to be nervous about something is... I need to see the defenders get a little more creative in how they would use AI to protect. Because hmm. if you're red team, I like just think of, of the possibilities, right? Bypassing uh, CAPTCHA, like you, absolutely, we're going to be able to make AI beat the "I am a robot," right? So that that's done. Like we're we're gonna that's gonna get defeated. We're gonna have to figure out how to solve for that. Better phishing, like you know, half of the of of phishing attempts out there are are still written pretty poorly. Wait, wait till I get Gen AI to start writing my phishing campaigns. It's going to be different. Social engineering, I mean, and people are always one of the, the easiest targets in a company. Uh, we're definitely going to be using Gen AI to attack them. Think about think about deep fake executives, mm-hmm. right? Like we're we're already looking at that um, honeypot social medias, like literally, you know, looking for those who are often on social media and building the having AI, you know, fake the perfect person to gather data from them. I mean think about all of these kind of attacks we don't see a lot of this stuff in blue team you know being creative. Um you mentioned earlier about the the software uh, you know uh, SAS and dast and, and our ability to do code. What about when you get code and you use a model to go through that code and look for vulnerabilities? Like a faster ability to identify vulnerabilities uh that a company's using, you know that I I can take advantage of. Um self-evolving malware. Um and then just think about the tools industry right like and you mentioned earlier like uh, analysis we're going to be building improved models to look at the network behavior and try to identify stuff we they're going to be using ai to also look you know scan a network to find what what might be a great potential attack you can even have them create custom kill chains you know for a company based on what it's interpreting uh, as it goes through your environment yeah, I
2: mean the thing that uh, sometimes keeps me awake at night now is uh, obviously we use uh, a lot of software to uh, pick out false positives. And so to Zach's point around creativity, how do you start to make an attack look more and more like a false positive um, to bypass some of the automated defenses that most organizations will have in place?
0: That's good. So in, in talking through all this, you know, we we've explored how uh, AI can be used to attack companies. And Zach, I think as you have teed up, uh, there is a lack of AI being used to defend companies. Uh, Have we seen that being played out any further?
1: Well, We've definitely seen uh, security companies that are selling products use uh, the the AI language, use ML as a language in their sales process. Some of them are actually using it. Uh, What I would say is that they're... They're still using it to solve the same problems. Uh, you know, do better code scanning, do better network scanning, do better, you know, um, you know, interpretation of, of threat detection, do better predictive threat uh, stuff. But at the end of the day, it's still like improve this, improve this, improve that. Uh, there's not a lot out there saying, hey, we're, we're approaching the security problems that AI are going to create in a new way. Um, and we're going to need to start seeing that. We're going to need to see... Um, uh, interpret- interpretation of inbound phone calls for malicious activity, right? Like where AI could actually be listening to, like we already record all of our support calls. We also know support calls is a great attack vector um, because we, we've seen it just recently used by some of the ransomware gangs uh, in Las Vegas to take uh, casinos, right? And it was, it was by phone call. Uh, w- would be great to see generative AI being used to listen to calls and go, see this is actually exactly what uh an attack from a gen ai or f- deep fake would look like and then go ahead and 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 tag it and maybe stop the call stop the stop the attack at that chain but oh, not seeing a lot of that just yet no that no, doesn't mean it's not right around the corner and hopefully if any of you guys are listening you can get on it and come talk to me I'll give you some ideas for for,
2: for me although uh, it's going to sound uh, like the normal boring security guidance, but it really does come back to the foundations of kind of your data, uh, sorry, your c- cyber security programs and, uh, your, your data management programs, right? So all the things that we've discussed is things like, uh, the, yeah you know, making sure you have robust, uh, user user, edu- personal education programs in place, good communication programs about your cyber security programs, and then yeah, more, more uh, foundationally making sure that you, you know, use data that you trust um, you know, in, in your AI models or you bring data into the organization that you trust, whether that be through things like co-generations, as we talked about earlier. Um, uh, and then I guess the, the, the last point uh, was just around the supply chain piece, right? Making sure that you know, if you are going to pick a, a, a Gen AI model and a supplier of model, Um, that you have done your due diligence on the vendor and how you want that vendor to interact and integrate into your environment as well. Um, As boring as it sounds, it feels like some of the challenges are just a much faster, more evolving problem um, that rely on the same foundational, uh, I guess, robust capabilities of, of a good cyber and data governance program.
0: That's good. Let's... Let's dig into the application. And so, if we are if we're looking at a company that, say, has a new CISO and uh, is hearing all about this generative AI and is questioning, okay, what do I do next? Where do I start? What What would be your advice to him, Rob?
2: My My advice would be understand what the use cases for your for the new Gen AI application is. Um, if this is the first time the organization is is doing something like it, um, try and make sure that you narrow down that use case that is aligned with, I guess, the risk and complexity that the organization can deal with. You know, If, if you are going to jump straight off the diving board and go for your most risky, most complex implementation, you're probably going to have a really bad day as a CISO. But, yeah, you know, if you work with the organization that's maybe not uh, that mature, but start with low risk, low complexity implementations, hey, if you fail, um, at least you've not given away the keys to the kingdom. You've started nice and simply, and you've learned something about it in a very safe and controlled way.
1: Yeah, to Rob's point, kind of the fundamentals, if you're going to put it in, if a company's putting in GenAI as a CISO, you probably want to know a couple of things, for instance, what's the criticality or the nature of the data that it's going to be touching making sure that you understand what level of risk it brings from a governance side from a from a fine side from or or just a, a loss of competitive advantage uh, and of course um, beyond that you also need to understand the criticality for the company's success based on it so um, if the gen ai the implementation they're going to do is going to have is going to be Critical for the company's continuation, then that's going to be a different impact than if it's a hey, we're kind of experimenting with something. So, understanding where it fits and say a, a business impact analysis, you know, across it versus other applications are being brought on place.
0: I like it. Yeah, having a good lay of the land, and then to your point, Rob, having a really specific use case uh, for what you're wanting it to do, because it it, it many a times can feel like it is this black box and if you don't know where you're going, you're not going to get get too far with it.
1: Rob, what's the next piece of news that's going to happen with Gen AI and the <laughs> cybersecurity problem? Let's let's predict. Let's let's have a fun moment here.
2: Uh, I think the thing that we've not seen yet, um, uh, at least to the best of my knowledge, is a major breach of uh, personal information. Like we've heard a lot about. Um, you know, um, intellectual property breaches and stuff like that. We, we, I think we're yet to see a massive breach due to gen AI on, on personal data, and I think when that happens, I think that is probably going to accelerate a lot of the regulation around AI.
1: Do you think it's going to be from, um, some threat actor doing something really clever, or is it just going to be a poor implementation?
2: Oh, that's a race to the bottom, that one.
1: Uh, it how, really is, how, it? How, how are we going to fail? That's the question. Um,
2: my suspicion is, I think it's probably going to be a combination of both, actually. Uh, I think it will be a poor implementation that has been exploited by threat actors being able to amass uh, information on basic vulnerabilities, but at a scale that we've not seen before. Um, yeah, when, when you look at how threat actors work at the moment, it's kind of very much trial and error and they're limited by the resources that they have available to them. And I guess the the interesting thing with Gen AI is that in theory, the resources that they can have access to now are almost limitless.
1: Yeah, and I, I'd be careful with the, the um, limiting resource concept on threat actors because there's definitely different kinds of threat actors, right? There's individual yeah. hackers. There are ransomware gangs who are, by the way, very well funded now. Um, and and live in countries in which they are you know uh, free of laws or concerns that would be a problem for them. And as they as they keep landing in the SEC's new requirements of 8Ks coming out, letting us know when they've paid and how much, we're going to start really understanding um, how well funded some of these um, hacking groups are, or nation states. Trust me, nation states yeah, have plenty of money so. to invest. I mean, if they you know nation states are one of the number one buyers of uh, zero days, right? And zero days go for millions. Zero day is a a vulnerability that's been identified that can be used in an attack that uh, has yet to um, been patched or remediated. Zero days are uh, often sold on a black market, and um, these nation states buy them up like you wouldn't believe to use them on their enemies. Um, uh, Yeah,
2: scratch scratch the limited resources point. I guess the, the point I was more aiming for was more people are going to have more resources than what they've had before, whereas previously it was limited to the likes of nation states and that, yeah, funded hacking groups.
1: Good call. Yeah, as 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 we can shrink down the footprint of what uh, it takes to run your own individual generative AI,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: that'll be that'll be interesting. Um, right now, that is the 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 realm of larger actors, but um, the tools will continue to to reach the hands of individuals.
0: Well, as we wrap up, if you could leave security leaders with one piece of advice uh, regarding generative AI, what would it be?
2: Uh, I'm going to go with uh, my usual start with the foundations, uh, and that will probably solve quite a significant amount of uh, the problems that you will face going into implementing your gen AI program.
1: I mean, that's a great answer. Um, I, I guess if I have to pull something that's slightly different, I would say, uh, don't try to stand too, uh, strong on your defiance of, of implementation and being a, um, make sure you be a business partner. Don't be a house of no, try to understand that this is coming. And then just looking for the best way that you can wrap, uh, remediation around it. Make sure that you wrap, um, uh, protective measures in place that are going to minimize the uh, the damage that might come from it. Um, you know, hoping that it never happens, but being ready to respond if it does.
0: righty, this is y'all's last chance. Any any final words? Any final topics? If not, we will wrap this thing up.
2: Um, I mean, one of the areas that I think is going to be really interesting to try and deal with is bias in in AI. Um, and the reason that I think is important from a cyber security perspective is bias is probably one of the things that affects the integrity of your data the most. Um, and I think as you start looking at the application of AI for things like recruitment, um, so uh, not so much a, a client story, but uh, I, I know of a, an organization that was using AI to... Uh, evaluate video responses. And uh, in the early stages of the application of this, what they actually found was that you know, uh, individuals that were from uh, disadvantaged backgrounds ended up, pre- uh, n- let's say, not preferring those candidates. Um, and I think that, that's a really fascinating problem that you end up having, right, um, because if you know, it it speaks to that point around the integrity of the data that you get back out of the AI model. And that's not because people engineered it that way as as such deliberately, but it does show that the AI is only good as the person that has uh, built it or the data that has gone into it. And I think that's why when we talk about the integrity of organizational data, um, we're, we're not just talking about, let's say, the you know, normal principles of, of data quality and making sure that oh, our data is, is trustworthy, but it's also making sure that it's not biased um, against, uh, you know, uh, say people from disadvantaged backgrounds or, um, you know, under underrepresented characteristics, um, which can be very difficult, right? I don't know what you think on that, Zach.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's definitely going to make decisions that, aren't really clear to us. Right. And so, uh, a great example maybe, maybe would be, um, and, and I was going to use taxis as a, as a, as an example. I don't know if taxis are even real anymore. Um, I think they're just all Ubers. Um, but, uh, if you, if you had AI look at all your routes, your profitability, um, and said, okay, you start telling me where people are going to where our vehicle is going to be. It might make decisions that a, first off, look like crazy to us. Like it decided not to go to the airports anymore. Well, why? I mean, why that doesn't, I can't wrap my head around it. It's going to be seeing something or thinking of something different. Uh, the bias is interesting, right? It may suddenly decide to stop going to certain parts of, you know, your city um, because it's recognized a higher crime rate or, or a higher challenge or problem. Uh, so it's going to make a, a decision that, you know, on, on the front of, of, Business might make sense, but at the end of the day, is definitely lacking of a kind of that human consciousness, right? Like it's going to say, okay, we're, we're just going to stop going to all these neighborhoods because the profitability or margins aren't there. So um, AI is going to going to have biases injected into them by who develops them. It's also just going to make kind of cold decisions um, that we're going to have to go back and say, look, we can't really, you know, just lay it in their hands. We have to actually, you know, we we still have to be the human in the room.
2: Yeah. And I think that's going to be really important for, um, you know, public sector organizations where explainability of the decision that's been made by a machine is, you know, uh, absolutely necess- necessary for the transparency of transparency of government. Um, And that might make the application of AI in those industries uh, slightly more difficult without a human being able to review the decision that's been made, but also understand why that decision has been made.
1: And prove it, right? Because at the same time, you're going to have to be able to to explain, right? It's a matter of accuracy, bias, and transparency. And you're going to have to be able to explain the decisions it makes. And... The, the, the challenges is we, we kind of wanted to go make decisions we wouldn't and do things better than we would but then we also have to make sure at the end of the day we can we can go to an auditor, we can go to somewhere else and go, the reason it did this is this and not that because that's a problem and this is not a problem. And if we don't have that, uh, we'll be in kind of sticky situations.
0: I know we had mentioned it before of the idea of checks and balances and I think Here it is again, you know, all throughout AI, as it continues to grow and evolve, there's this constant idea of checks and balances, whether it's uh, from a security standpoint or a business decision standpoint, uh, there's that human element that needs to come alongside it and verify and validate, okay, is this the right decision?
1: Meanwhile, also not allowing the human to slow down the power that is the AI that you're <laughs> wanting to use and take advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's going to be um, a thin line to walk. Hey, thanks for having us on. really appreciate
2: it. Yeah, it was a good chat. Thoroughly enjoyed
0: it. Well, thank you both so much for joining and uh, tune in for another episode of Technically Minded.